Is your business plan very unclear and you're tirelessly working at a low-paying career? Let's help you get out of the rut and let go of the fear. It's time to excel into the million-dollar stratosphere. Now, here's your host of The Balanced Millionaire, who will take you there, Eileen Mendel. show tonight. I am Eileen Mendel, and I'm executive management consultant, author and speaker, and your host of the Balanced Millionaire podcast. The show's mission is to inspire, empower, and educate business professionals to achieve higher levels in their lives and careers. Instead of stumbling, we can learn from those who have already gotten past the hurdles. My guests are intellectually stimulating, and thought-provoking, offering valuable insights to help you get ahead. I have a very, very special guest tonight. His name is Bill Protzman. He actually has two businesses. He has a business that is in the information technology area. He's an entrepreneur, as well as a business called Music Care Inc., which is in which he uses his musical talents and skills. And he'll tell you more about that during the show. Bill has won numerous awards, including his recording of Amazing Grace, which reached the top of the mp3.com chart as an EP in the mid-1990s and was selected for inclusion in the Permanent Archive of the Library of Congress. He has also done collaborations of improvisations, with Tibetan bowls, his piano, and wooden flutes. He has also, while he was doing all these things, he has written two books, one entitled In Our Eyes, In Our Words, Portraits from the Edge of Society, which received an Independent Publisher of the Year Award in 2019 in the Fine Art category, and More Than Human, the Value of Cultivating the Human Spirit Deorganization, which became an Amazon international bestseller on the day of its launch in both spirituality and business categories. Let me tell you a little bit about Bill's mission of with music here, which he concentrates more of his efforts on. He started it in 2011, and it is about building in the ability to use emotions for good and offer proven practical tools for access to music as a behavioral, emotional, physical, and spiritual self-care modality. Bill, in addition to providing life-saving and life-affirming, he has a group on Meetup that does that. He also works with veterans as well as military, the Guard, the Reserves, and their friends and families, and has provided more than 4,600 no-cost honor tickets to symphony concerts here in San Diego. With that, Bill, I'd like to welcome you to the show. 
Um, also, I wanted to mention that Bill won a prestigious award in 2014 by the National Council for Behavioral Health for Excellence in the Behavioral Health, which is the behavioral health equivalent of winning an Oscar. And he'll tell us a little bit more about that, how that came to be. But let me introduce Bill Protzman to you. Welcome, Bill. Bill, uh, tell us a little bit more about how you got started in um, developing, I think it was over 20 years ago, the music care um, enterprise that you now have and are concentrating a lot of your efforts on. Sure. Um, There's something about music, isn't there? It just does things to us. And as a piano player and performer for many years, I've noticed that that's really the most exciting part about offering music to an audience or sharing it with them or performing with other musicians. It just does something. And the more that I've studied that and the more that we have recent research on all of that and we're getting evidence for things that musicians have known all along, the more exciting it's been to me to begin to offer that as a form of evidence-based and holistic self-care. So people in all walks of life can use music, whether they're dealing with remediation things and intervention things like distress and depression and anxiety, or they're launching and forward and and moving into the growth uh, perspective, the self-awareness, the self-actualization, transcendence, that kind of, that, that move forward. And it's really crazy because the same music that can help you deal with depression, for example, is also transformative and can release peak performance. And isn't it interesting that how that works, right? So this incredible opportunity that we have to use this amazingly powerful thing that's been with us since we could, you know, holler at each other or bang on logs, it's so available now and its its efficacy is proven scientific study after scientific study. We ought to be using this more because it's just so rich. Now, you yourself had uh, some experiences with using, and uh, you know, I'm going into your personal life a little bit, but using music to help you pull you out of uh, such a deep depression that you were even um, suicidal. So tell yes. us, tell the audience a little bit more about how the music, how you, how you reach this conclusion with your own self that the music actually was a therapeutic mode to take you out of that uh, suicidal depression and bring you to someone who's become, you know, really productive and also uh, realized, you know, this, uh, this, this talent that you have. As a musician, and I know many leaders out there actually are musicians in some way or another. It's amazing to me how many bands are made up of like CEOs from various companies. So there, there are many people out there in leadership who will resonate for this. Our job as musicians is to, first of all, find big emotion, and secondly, perform it in a way that is authentic for the audience. Can't find that big emotion, the performance sounds uninspired and flat and boring. So we have this intention right from the start, before we even play the first note on our instruments or sing it, to bring the emotional content right to the forefront of everything that we are performing, everything that we're playing. And I got pretty good at that at the piano. 
I also got really bad at it in the rest of my life. It was like when I was at the piano, big emotion, no problem. But in the rest of my life, no instrument, no way to act to create that authenticity and offer that emotional content in a way that was was beautiful. So my life has been about taking what I know to, what to do at the piano and translating that into a form of expression that I can use in real life when the piano isn't anywhere near me. And I've discovered that anyone can do that. So part of that journey involved me encountering a place in my life where I just felt completely done. I was just, there was nothing left for me to do. The, the purposes had all been achieved. Uh, the meaning had all been realized. I was just like, you know, why am I still here? And that was 12 years ago on the weekend of Labor Day in 2007. And that weekend, um, I really felt like I'd done everything that I came to do and that it was time to end it. No sort of anxiety about that, no distress about that, just like, you know, I'm kind of done here. I'm sure there were people I could have called, but I didn't think any of them would really understand. You know, my therapist was probably available, and I had friends and family. I just felt like, you know, one more time before it, we're all finished here, I'm going to put on some music that I really love and sit in the chair and let it be with me in a very deep way and and just you know, like one last time. So, so you, that, had made, that you had made a decision to, uh, to check out. Yeah, I had. And, and I realized that I could do that anytime. And that particular night seemed like a good night to just sort of be with that decision for a while. And so I, I, I sat in the chair, put on my headphones, put this piece of music I love on repeat and just listened. And I was not surprised that the big emotions in that piece of music came to me, but I was surprised that I felt them so deeply. I had never felt that level of sadness and hopelessness and despair and just all those other things that had kind of been swirling around through most of my teenage years and you know, old friendly feelings, big ones, but old ones that I recognized came to me. And I just sat there and, and wept. And I must have sat there for hours because I remember at one point um, waking up. And it was the most remarkable thing, Eileen, because when I woke up at that moment, the music was still playing, I felt awake in a way I had never felt before. Something had changed. And I didn't know what that was. And I was very tired out, and so I went to bed and slept. And the next day when I woke up, there were words in my head and there were words to a song that I had never heard before. And I wrote the words down and there were like four verses in a bridge and, and, and there was music that came and I wrote that down. And by the, by noon, this whole song was done and it was the most amazing sort of shift for me in terms of meaning and purpose, because that was also the time that weekend where I realized that I had more to give and that it was too early to check out, to take my own life. And I've, I've, I come to that place many times where I choose to keep breathing. It's not as dramatic as that weekend, but I often think about it. Yeah, I'm glad that I'm still breathing right now. I'm glad I made that choice. And he comes and knocks on the door again and says, hey, Bill, you know, it's, things could be pretty hopeless right now. I'm like, yeah, well, let's kind of see how it goes. Let's stay curious. You know, let's stay engaged. We're not quite finished here yet. That's, that's a really wonderful moment of transformation for me. And it's inspired me, of course, to continue to do what I do with music and to, to talk about this experience in a way that's, that doesn't sort of define who I am, but that says, yeah, you know, human beings, we, we're built to go deep. 
we can do that and we can survive that and come through the other side and share what we've found in that deep place with other people in a way that helps them to be inspired and unafraid of being able to do that too. So the music, and what kind of music was it actually that, that uh, you were listening to? Oh, it's a really specific piece. I thought it was New Age piano music the first time I heard it way back in the 80s. But it turns out it's a piece of music written by Sergei Rachmaninoff back in the day, I guess in the early 1900s. And it's um, it's on my website. You can hear it everywhere. It's an etude tableau that has a funny name that's been given to it called Seagulls. But the visual is someone standing in a foggy seashore and watching the seagulls swirling overhead, as I think is how it's, it's talked about on Wikipedia. That's a nice visual. But it's very slow and peaceful and and full of tension, you know. It has all of that incredible tension in it that, that helps you find the deep, deep um, sadness that's in the music. And it's interesting, uh, you just sat there and listened and had spontaneous releases of emotion. That's oh, yeah. all it took, was just to get through all that, you know, history and things that you had felt as a teenager and episodes of your life that you probably were holding inside both mentally and physically in your body. And you just let it go. You said, well, this is the end. I might as well just let it go. You know, it's like very much, very much. And And then that practice of allowing big emotion, I think that may be new for a lot of people, especially for men. We like to keep our emotions under wraps and stuff them. But the psychologists tell me that's not healthy. And, of course, I've had plenty of therapy, too, so I've had a chance to unpack this, too. But never got that deep. You know, that that welcoming, just non-judgmental, non-linear, saying, yes, bring the emotion to me, I think did help to release a lot of the baggage, you know, that I've been carrying around for a long time. And do you, do you think that our society, and I think I know the answer anyway, just... Um, we're, we're, we're expected to suck it up, basically, and not show emotion? Well, Do you think that's what's that going game, on? You know, for a long time. And, and yes, I think so. Um, when I bottled up all of the emotions when I was not at the piano, I found that they leaked out in, in ways that weren't helpful. Um, they'd often get in the way. And I think when you look around at society, uh, particularly at things like social media or uh the the bashing that capitalism is getting right now, uh, there's an aspect of doing the right thing that can quickly trend toward doing it better than anybody else and therefore being the best. <laughs> and, okay, I don't have a problem with that. We should strive to be our best. But isn't it better to work together? I mean, human beings are tribal people, and we're supposed to collaborate. We're not supposed to compete unless it's for fun. But competing for profit, we're kind of seeing where that's gone, and it's not a real great place. On the flip side, some very wealthy individuals are throwing huge amounts of resources against problems like homelessness and hunger and food and clean water. And I think that kind of leadership is really necessary right now to help us understand that you can't make a difference in the world without the means to do so. And having extraordinary means also calls on us to make an extraordinary contribution in some way to help those who are not able to do what they are entitled to do just by being born on this planet, which is to live in a safe place, you know, and, and to be able to raise a family and to 
to do all the things that human beings have done for so long without all the agony that seems to accompany the the expression of anger and the expression of fear. That's just, you know, we can feel those things, but we don't have to use them to win the game. You know, it's fine to be angry. It's It motivates things, and great things have happened because of anger, such as the founding of America. Great response to uh, anger and fear and all of that, but let's try to keep it more on track where we're not acting out based on emotions that we don't like. Does that make any kind of sense? Exactly. I think um, it's a shame. I'm, I'm just thinking of public education and how a lot of school systems um, that are hurting for financially are cutting out or decreasing their music programs. And the young people, when you grow up, um, like you said, usually it starts, you know, when you're very young and through your teen years is when you need to be able to let out those emotions. Otherwise, it becomes destru- you know, destructive behavior that can haunt you your entire life. Kind of when you need it most, you know. Exactly. If you put those habits in place early, and they'll serve you for the rest of your life. I, I feel very fortunate that there was music education in the schools that I went to back in the 60s and 70s. And I feel so sad now for kids who don't have that as a as a part of their education, especially in elementary school, where it's possible to to build good habits, to build good listening habits, uh, stimulate the growth the growth of your brain. For heaven's sakes, music does that better than almost any other thing we know. Um, that's an incredible missed opportunity in education, and to take music out of our educational system is is sort of in, it, it inhibits the growth and development of our young kids in a way that's really tragic. So yeah, let's let's put it back. And kudos to everyone who can do private lessons for their children, who sings around the piano at home, or whatever it is, allows people to have an early experience of making music. That is so fundamental to who we are as human beings. So let's explore a little bit the difference between music therapy, because I know some parents who um, actually... Use you know they see you know um, tendencies toward autism or other behaviors and they send their kids you know to um, to music therapy and and what you do music care what's that difference? That's a good question. So music therapists are just as the name implies they're licensed, board certified, um, educated, so they have advanced degrees, and their job is to do clinical applications of music. And that could be a psychological application of music, or it could even be a physical or emotional kind of application of music. There's lots of work, as you mentioned, in autism, in dementia and Alzheimer's, in palliative care. There's just so much richness available for people who are near the end of life when you open the musical way for them. And that that work is remarkable. I've had the opportunity to play for some end-of-life transitions myself, and it's, it's a beautiful thing to be present in that moment. So a music therapist is there in a therapeutic relationship to guide you in whatever clinical goal you want to achieve, want to want to um, resolve. Often it's in interventions, um, that is dealing with depression and distress and anxiety, or um, even in physical cases, because music is an incredible painkiller. I don't think many people really understand that and can use it. So that's music therapy. Um, music care is you doing all that for yourself on your own. 
um, with the guidance of someone who was able to say, and here's how music works for you, and here's how you can find the music to apply in a given situation. And uh, that kind of self-care is something we need so much more these days. I love the fact that yoga and meditation are being deployed so largely. Uh, I think David Lynch is responsible for that. There's a school somewhere where kids are, instead of being sent to timeout, they're given three minutes to meditate. What a wonderful thing. And the results are amazing. That's self-care that you can learn without a whole lot of advanced degrees or help. Because we're all sort of built-in resonators for music, that's a superpower all human beings have. Once you understand how sound and rhythm work on you, you can use that for way more than intervention. I mean, it's great to be able to use it with the stress and depression and anxiety, but it's also amazing to use it for growth and to help teams coalesce and to energize individuals or entire or enterprises to do more things than they were able to do without this amazing fuel that is that you can find in music. It's interesting with the all the political strife that's going on and accusations and all that. Wouldn't it be nice if we can deal with it through some kind of musical, you know, uh, a therapy or, or, or care or, or a way to, uh, to, to bring music into harmonizing, you know, what, what's going on with, you know, with both um, national as well as international politics. I find that with, um, especially with conflict, Music is so amazing because it allows people in conflict to find a common ground. Sometimes the emotions that are experienced are different, but it does allow you to find an emotional common ground. And while you're doing that as sort of an exercise or a practice, uh, other things are happening too. Music simply entrains us. Our heart rates sync up. Our breathing syncs up. And when you're entrained with somebody or you're finding some common emotional ground with someone, it's very difficult to hang on to any hate and to act out on that or to hang on to any anger that you have against them or what they believe. It just, it's music itself starts to loosen those, uh, in many ways, uh, prejudices, the, the, the judgment that we bring to a situation. I'm right. You're wrong. That kind of thing. You can still hold your position, but once you meet as human beings and not just two sides of an argument, it's much easier to find a way forward than it is if you're all dug in around the fact that you don't believe the other person's right. <laughs> you know, it's difficult to improvise with someone when you're fighting about what key to play in. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. Um, music has, you know, tribal origins. I mean, cult various cultures use music, you know, in different ways to get, you know, I mean, there's rain dances in the Native American culture, you know, a celebration of harvest, you know, kind of music. And it's amazing that it, it does cut across so many different cultures and, um, you know, uh, different types of societies that why not use music, you know, use music in business, music in the family, you know, music for health. You know, it's it just all makes sense. When you think about how flexible music is and how much it works on us in so many ways, it, it's almost a why not? You know, why aren't we doing this already <laughs> kind of thing? We used to. I mean, didn't Ford have a company song? I know IBM did. And we still have school fight songs. So music is still out there, but it's just not as present in our American culture as it is in most indigenous cultures, as you're, as you're talking about. 
I, I think that honestly, this is why people who are in the most dire circumstances and you know uh, war torn places in Africa or great natural disasters around the world. I think this is why people in those places are able to be so resilient, because they have a built-in practice of using music to mind them throughout their lives, throughout what they do every day. And and music can also, like you said, uh, tell a story, you know, and engross you in, you know, a story that you can re- perhaps relate to, you know, with um, maybe, you know, some similar circumstances that you're facing and how you can, you know, struggle through and, and get to the other side of that. Exactly. And I know that music is powerful for memory. There are many cultures where the stories are, are retained in song, are retained in rhythm. And the history of an entire tribe might be wrapped up in one long song, the way that we like to, in the Western world, like to think of opera that tells a story. That's the same kind of thing. But it's your cultural history that's contained in a song or contained in a story that's set to music. And, and that's so powerful. I don't know my story back to two, three generations, but I bet you any uh, any Native American would be able to tell you theirs and have it go back six or seven. Yeah, it's, very, it's really interesting. Um, what I wanted to do is uh, go to a break right now, but um, I want to hear a little bit more about the books that you've written and um, some examples of how you have uh, helped people with music. So right now we're going to go to a commercial break, but we'll be right back. I'm here with Bill Protzman talking about music care. My business has lost its upward momentum. I'm working up to 14 hours a day, but my sales seem to have plateaued. I'm so overwhelmed. I used to have that same problem, but ever since I found the Balanced Millionaire Consulting Firm, our sales and profits have risen sharply. Even our staff is more engaged, and the atmosphere is full of energy. I have no time to work on my business to develop new sales and marketing strategies. I would love to expand, have strategic partnerships, and access to financing. You can do all of that and more. The Balanced Millionaire Consulting Team advises you on streamlining your operations, establishing alliances, and most importantly, increasing your revenues and profits. Let us help you build value and reduce stress in your business. Take charge. Don't let your business control your life. Visit TheBalancedMillionaire.com or call 442-224-0160 for a free consultation. That's 442-224-0160 or TheBalancedMillionaire.com. Former highly paid corporate insider and expert in scaling businesses for over three decades, Eileen Mindell is a serial entrepreneur, business consultant, renowned speaker, and author. Tune into The Balanced Millionaire on bbsradio.com weekly on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Central, and 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to learn the secrets to working fewer hours and achieving financial breakthroughs, increased revenue, and prosperity while maintaining personal and professional balance and harmony. You can also hear us on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Spotify. To schedule a private consultation about your business, call or text 760-450-6133 or visit inneredgeinternational.com. 760-450-6133 or visit inneredgeinternational.com.
am Eileen Mendel, founder and CEO of The Balanced Millionaire. Who are we and what is our mission? We are a strategic business advisory firm dedicated to advancing leadership and business growth. Listen to what our clients have to say about us. I was blessed to meet Eileen. She has done numerous things for my business, from giving me professional advice to introducing me to new connections and going as far as finding me new team members. I cannot say enough about her and her business for the help they have given to my company. I've been working with the Balanced Millionaires team. They've helped me in setting up a concrete plan to get my business to the next level. Eileen is a cheering, inspiring and benevolent advisor. Knowing that she's gone through the same challenges gives me the confidence that I'm on the right track. If you are a growing seven or eight figure business that is ready to reach new heights, contact us at info at thebalancedmillionaire.com. That's info at thebalancedmillionaire.com. We're back, everyone, and this is Eileen Mendel with The Balanced Millionaire, and I have with me my guest, Bill Protzman, and he's going to tell us a little bit more about his business, which he started uh, back in 2011, called Music Care Inc. Now, Bill, you published two books. One is called More Than Human, The Value of Cultivating the Human Spirit in Your Organization. And the other one is called In Our Eyes, In Our Words, Portraits from the Edge of Society. Tell us a little bit about each book, what we can uh, learn from each book. I'll, I'll start with the most fun one first, Portraits from the Edge of Society. That book is a collection of drawings of homeless people that were made by my friend Jeff Horn, who's a California artist. And homelessness is a big thing for me. I like to volunteer, and I've taught music classes for homeless people for many years. So when Jeff mentioned that he had these drawings, we just had to figure out what to do with it. And what we've done with it is to produce this beautiful book. And it, as you mentioned, an award-winning beautiful book. It's a coffee table-sized book. And each of the portraits is accompanied by a statement that the person who was sitting for the portrait when they were drawn from life actually wrote about what it's like to be homeless and these have been sitting in Jeff's drawer for 30 years. So we, we published them, put them together, and we're using the book as a gratitude initiative to say thank you to people who run effective nonprofits that serve the homeless. And uh, it's been wonderful. What an experience of offering gratitude in a very, very difficult situation. It's just homelessness is not going to go away anytime soon. And the people who are working there very rarely um, have anyone come up to them and say thank you for what you're doing because it seems like the huge hill is just never going to be something we can climb. So that's that's in our eyes, in our words. You can't buy it. The only way you can get one is to run in a very effective homeless nonprofit. So um, keep it on, keep it on the radar though because it's going to be out there and it's doing fantastic work and and having amazing results. So um, more than human is about how to engage your human spirit in such a way that your organization becomes more effective. Uh, there's research on this, of course. I wouldn't have done it unless there was. <laughs> you have to have research these days. Yes. But it just makes common sense to be able to say, hey, you know, your organization shows gratitude and kindness and respect and integrity. That's the kind of organization that other organizations want to work with. 
and customers want to work with. And that's an amazing thing. So let's figure out how to enliven that. And what do we do to enliven gratitude? What do we do to enliven kindness? There's so many attributes of our human spirit that are expressed just in, in incredibly awesome, effective ways that we sometimes forget about. And it's much different than running a corporation based on greed, for example. You can run a, a for-purpose corporation like Music Care, where what you do is to create enough of a revenue stream where the people who are doing the work can, can live comfortably and without want, but the revenue stream also lets you deploy what you do to people who can't afford to pay for your services. So it, somebody once called me Robin Hood, and I kind of think that that's appropriate because it's possible to earn a great deal of money, as you know, consulting with effective organizations who can afford to pay for what you do, and then to be able to give some of that effort back in the form of free services to those who can't afford it, who are most at risk. And I think that's the model that we need these days. So uh, More Than Human is all about how to enliven your organization with best practice spirituality that actually works and can transform what you do and not just take it to another 10x or 100x level, but to exponentially increase your organization's effectiveness, whatever it is that you're doing. And it's interesting because I think there's a trend toward that um, type of thinking among um, a lot of the businesses these days, uh, especially the newer, younger businesses, because they want to attract a younger workforce. So they're um, actually about more, th- more than about um, the earnings or you know increasing um, the value of the stock, but they're more about what can we do to help humanity? Um, what does this company provide that, you know, helps our, our planet? Uh, what, you know, how can we change the, our ways of doing things? And you start looking at some of the uh, annual reports and the, um, you know, the Q10s, whatever, you know, the, the, the different um, things that these uh, companies are putting out now, talking about, you know, here's what we've implemented um, for our employees as well as for our customers and um, also about giving back how they're giving you know money or services to those who like you said who are un- underserved or who are needing um, to get more support you know from outside um, organizations to help them get out of their you know current living um, circumstances so uh I think that uh, your book uh, is very valuable. And how can people get the book? That one's on Amazon. It's real easy to find. Just Google for More Than Human or search Amazon for More Than Human and my name, Protzman. You'll find it real quick. And there's links, of course, on all my websites that go there. I think it's time to, to really enliven that. It just makes sense. You know, it just makes sense to do the right thing for people, to respect people who are showing you their best just encourages them to keep doing that, and um, much more than money does. It's not just taking a bribe to show up at the office anymore, you know? <laughs> so exactly. We've we got to go beyond that. Right, because that seems a bit shallow and unfulfilling. I think people are looking for more than that um, in their place of employment or if they're an entrepreneur or business owner in the culture that they're providing to their employees as well as the customers when they buy the product and what that's about. 
Can you talk a little bit about your online course, how to create and use music rights? Um, it's a, a toolkit or what, you know, what exactly is that? Great question. So I, I've been teaching this for a while and, and I've been encouraged to write a book about it and to do handouts and whatever so people can use this for themselves. And so I went whole hog on it and just put everything that I know about how to use music as a tool into an online course. It's a monstrous course. It's really, I mean, it's, it's 200 bucks to join it, but you get way, way more than that. And I don't want this to sound like a sales pitch, but what I want it to sound like is that there's a difference between life and death. And I'm only saying that because of all the volunteer work that I've done with veterans. And these are people who've pledged their lives and there are very few people who have to go to work knowing that your life is on the line every day. And if you're called to give it, you will. That's a unique thing. I think we're at a place where more people could appreciate life that way. And being able to connect deeply with music is a life-affirming skill. It's not just fixing a problem. It's opening the way to creativity and intuition and amazing leadership that you never knew that you, could, you had before. So in terms of life skills... This may be one of the, the very best ways to engage more fully as a human being. It's set up as a ritual because I find that there's a, a spiritual component to music that we need to honor in its practice. When you go to hear a concert, it's, a, it's sort of a formal situation. You, you enter a concert hall with other people who are there for the same reason, and the, the lights go down and the musicians appear on the stage, and there's this process of how the music is delivered. And if you use a process to deliver your own engagement with music, that just that exponentializes the power that it has for you. So it's set up as a ritual. Um, people who haven't done rituals for themselves before might be a little put off by that, but it's time to engage with this stuff. I mean, spirituality is not just for religions anymore. It's something that's available to everyone, regardless of what you believe. Same with music. And putting yourself in a place where you, in fact, are the receiver of music with an intention, I can think of nothing better than this, to, no better way to describe that than as a ritual. So this course is all about, first of all, helping you understand how music works, and then secondly, helping you develop tools that you can use to apply music in any given situation. I like to think about um, soundtracking resilience, for example. Do you have a song for resilience just off the top of your head? Don't know many people who do, but if you think about it a little while... They start to come to you, like Hallelujah, that wonderful song by Leonard Cohen that's been covered by everybody in the world, or even um, patriotic songs can be very resilient. It depends on your particular music, what you love. So being able to put that music behind a tool like a resilience, that engages you authentically. And we're talking a lot about authenticity these days. Uh, you can choose to be resilient, that's fine, and you can you know, bring your physical effort to what it takes to do the work. But if you haven't got the emotional component of that, it's going to be hollow. Just like the person who says, thank you, have a nice day. You know that they are saying the words because they have to, but the meaning, the authenticity, the emotional content is missing. So this course is one, is one that lets you unpack your emotional content and bring your best self completely to the whole thing. Whether it's saying thank you or cleaning up after a giant hurricane with other organizations that are trying to do the same thing. We need that authenticity. We need that, we need that in resilience and all the other sort of best spiritual practices out there. You've got to have an emotional component to make it authentic, or it will be hollow and, and it won't resonate, just like music that's played without emotion. Well, the nice thing about 
the information age that we live in is that people can download uh, various pieces of music that actually, like you said, touches them and reaches into their emotion and, and helps them deal with, you know, depression or anger or, you know, uh, stress, you know, those are um, available to us. And uh, a lot of it is free because um, it's, you know, you know, it was grandfathered in before, you know, trademark law or copyright law. So uh, that's what's um, different now than when I grew up, you know, so, you know, I think uh, parents and, as you said, uh, schools and colleges, you know, this is something that would be helpful to deal, you know, with the, especially as you're maturing over time. Um, and a lot of that's that um, uh, emotional angst sticks into your mind and body and influences, you know, your future and your decisions in life, that these things, you know, could be taught at that, um, at the level of, you know, various um ages and and uh, like you said uh, you know the music that resonates for the different person it, they can customize that and and, oh, yeah. and have that on their mp3 or on their computer and they could you know that's something that they can you know access very easily there's even more magic to it too uh, neuroscience is starting to explain this but our subconscious self doesn't know the difference between a stimulus that we hear and one that we remember. So if you have practiced your music, you can bring it to mind, and just remembering it will also create the emotional, the physical, the mental, the spiritual components of that music. They'll become present in you without you having to do anything except remember the song. And I love that because there's many times where I can't get to a piano, but I have the music available because it's in my head already. It's just, it's part of who we are. Yes, uh, you're right. You know, it's like uh, sometimes uh, you're not in a situation where you can actually readily access, you know, or, or be present with the music. And like you said, but uh, the music, you can, you know, hear it in your mind and, and feel the same thing. Yes. And that feeling component, see, that we've taken ourselves about as far as we can go trying to avoid feeling things we don't like. And I respect that. I really do. I don't like to feel certain things. But we have the ability. And if we allow ourselves to experience the, quote, things we don't like, and I'll say that emotional content, usually it's fear and anger that we don't like. Some people don't like sadness and won't let themselves feel that either. But if we, if we cut ourselves off from those big emotions, we're cutting ourselves off from a bunch of our power. And we're cutting ourselves off from our guardrails, essentially. It'd be like riding along a road on a cliff without any guardrails if you ignore fear and anger or stuff them. Fear and anger can keep you on the straight and narrow, provided that you don't get all judgmental about it. <laughs> you know, they're just emotions. They're going to come and go, just like any other emotion will. And you can access the energy in those emotions if you don't stuff them. If you let them come up and experience them safely, then you can use the energy that is left for good. And that's marvelous. Talk, talk about that a little bit more, uh, because music is a form of energy. Your thoughts are a form of energy. Your emotions are a form of energy. Can you kind of congeal for us, you know, how it all works? 
Sure. Uh, so let's say you hear a sound, and your body starts to respond to that sound. Um, let's say the sound was a jackhammer. So your body is going to get sort of tense and agitated. That happens about 100 times sooner than when you actually think about what you heard and say, oh, I heard a jackhammer. There's that huge gap, and it's in milliseconds, but it's a huge gap for as fast as human beings can process information between when your body responds and when your cerebral cortex kicks in and gives you information about what you heard. In that amazing gap, the rest of you that hasn't thought about it yet is ready to go. It's ready to plug your ears or whatever, however you respond to a jackhammer. And this works with any sound and with any song. If you hear a gunshot, things are going to have your breath is going to, you're going to start breathing quicker. Your heart rate's going to go up. If you hear something that's relaxing and calming, your body's going to respond to that. Um, I like to bring in a little click track before a meeting. And what happens when the click track is going in the background, nobody realizes this is happening, but all of our breathing and our heart rate and our, even in a certain sense, our brain function is beginning to entrain to that little drum track that's clicking in the background. And that's powerful stuff. I mean, you don't have to say anything, and it's already happening. So if you are aware of this, you can deploy it for your own good. And when that deployment happens, you've got to be open. You've got to be non-judgmental. You've got to be willing to say that if something scares you, you're going to feel that fear, recognize that it's, it's scary and that your body is already responding, and then let it move through you so that you can do something useful with that. There's never really a, a need to act out on any emotions that we have. Oftentimes, though, they're so stuffed and so big like mine were on that Labor Day weekend yes. that all we can do is just sit there and be with them. And that's especially true of fear and anger, you know, the ones we don't like. But anger can be a very powerful thing. I mean, for heaven's sakes, <laughs> think of all the amazing things that have been done because somebody was angry enough to do the right thing. That's really how it works. So being aware of your response and then actually enabling that, putting that response to music. If you're angry, don't stuff it, feel it. Let that feeling come. And if music is a way to allow that to move through you, fantastic. You'll be surprised with the energy that's left and how you have a choice about what to do with that energy that you might not think that you had. And certainly if you're stuffing it, you never get to the point of a choice. But the destructive thing, so if you're stuffing anger, your body is still responding to that. The only part of you that's stuffing that is the cerebral cortex, which remembers 100 times after it's late. It's way late compared to the feeling. So here's your body all ready to go and do something, and you're saying, no, 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 I don't want to feel that. I don't like that feeling. Don't, don't, don't be angry. You know, Billy, don't be angry. And no, that's, that's not going to do it. You've got to, just like at the piano, you've got to have that emotion present to be able to do something powerful. Otherwise, what you try to do is just going to be flat. It'll be like, thank you, have a nice day, where there's no emotional con content at all. And that's not authentic, and it doesn't create connections and all the other stuff that we want. Take those emotions out of it, they aren't there. It won't be there. You can do the right thing and say the right thing, but if you can't feel it, it's going to be flat. Now, I was going to mention that there's been highly uh, high-profile celebrities that have recently, in the last, you know, few years, committed suicide. Yeah. And um, some of them, you know, have been musicians, and some of them have been um, just high-profile people, uh, business people, 
um, you know, investment bankers, you know, I mean, you probably know who I'm talking about, some of these people. What's going on there? Why in this world is the rate of suicide going up so high? And are these people just not reaching out for help soon enough? I mean, do they recognize in themselves what's going on? What's, what's happening there? My personal experience with that is it comes from a good friend who took his own life. He had to try twice. He was not successful the first time. And uh, he was taking black box medication for depression. So black box basically means that it has a suicide warning printed right on the bottle. Yes. And I know that there were other things going on with my friend. I, obviously, because we hear it in the media, you can read it, there are other things going on with people who take their own lives. Uh, suicide is a symptom. It's a tragic one. But it's just a symptom of something that is unresolved somewhere earlier on. And to get to that thing earlier on and unpack that thing, it's kind of like me sitting in the chair and being willing to take whatever feelings came my way without having to act out on them. Medication doesn't help us to do that. Medication deadens us and, and flattens our responses and sort of takes away the richness of a choice that you could make to feel. And feelings are scary. I mean, it's, it's difficult if you've never done that. But it's also something you can survive, provided that you're not medicated into a place where it becomes overwhelming. And I think that the, the, tr the tragedy really, and perhaps this is a generalization on my part, and I'm not a clinician, so I don't know what I'm talking about, but I, I think if you think about it as a human being, the tragedy is that we allow people who are so incredibly rich in their expression of, of whatever their art is to just get to a place where they can't be reached anymore. And then we allow them to medicate themselves even further into that place. This doesn't sound responsible to me, Eileen. It sounds very inhumane. And I know we're trying to do the right thing, and modern medicine is what it is. But, oh my gosh, why would you give someone who's chronically depressed medication that might make them suicidal? That just doesn't sound right to me, <laughs> you know? Yes, it just, yeah, it just doesn't make sense um, why you would hand them the, you know, the very tool that would push them to that edge to, you know, actually commit the suicide. So um, yeah. who do you think um, is the first to recognize? I know the person sometimes hides, you know, the depression and the darkness, but where can they go to, you know, get that kind of like, okay, there are alternatives to drugs. Have you tried music here? Have you tried, meditation, whatever, where, you know, where does that begin where someone can get the help and realize that they can get the help without going to, to drugs? Well, there are, there are all sorts of resource pages, but there are classes that people who are just, you know, want to be more human can take. One called QPR, Question, Persuade, Refer. It's a one-hour class taught all over the United States by volunteers. Um, it's evidence-based, and its purpose is to help you as a person who cares to know what to do when you think that someone that you know might be suicidal. Um, question, of course, are you feeling suicidal? Persuade, is there anything that I can do to help you get help? Uh, and then refer to be able to refer them to clinical care or to some other way. And, and this is an organized course. It's taught everywhere. A more complicated one that's, um, I think it's sponsored by the National Council for Behavioral Health, is called uh, Mental Health First Aid. 
and they take us through, it's a full-day class, and it takes us through all of the various kinds of symptomology that are out there for behavioral health care issues. And I, I think becoming uh, educated about what it's like to be, uh, to be in a position to intervene, I think that's really key right now because there's so many, as you mentioned, people who are just taking themselves out of the picture when there's so much available to them in other ways. Uh, it takes work. It takes work, I'll be honest with you. This is a very, very difficult thing to intervene with suicide. It's, we're, we're late. We're way behind the game. When someone's ready to take their own life, so much has already happened that has gone unnoticed or undiagnosed or even just unmet with kindness. And um, I, I see this with homeless people. All the homeless person really wants is to be recognized as a human being. And I think that in places where high-profile celebrities take themselves out of the picture, there's probably a longing for that, too. I can't imagine what it's like to be, for example, Robin Williams, who's just this amazing performer. What is it like to be under the hood where Robin is real, you know, where he comes down and... Right. You know, as a human being, that, what's it like to meet Robin there? The boundary, boundary between his perform being a, a fantastic performer and living a real life. Yeah, yeah. And uh, celebrities uh, must be sort of insulated in many ways from the realness, for, from the authenticity of having actual human beings around. I hope that that's not true in a big way, but. I can see how the job itself takes you out of uh, a more human experience of life. You know, that's fame is hard. And uh, people who crave it may crave it because there's no other way for them to fit in. I just, it, it's hard to say. But as authentic human beings, I hope that we're on a path where we can, where we can turn that around and let people know that it's bigger than just celebrity and fame. And there's more to life than having to be the one who's always called upon to make us laugh or make great music. Or there, There's an end to that that's important for all of us to realize, too. But there's also a, a pathway and, and a satisfying end to living a human life that, for some reason, society hasn't offered to folks like Robin Williams. Or that we've medicated our way into a dead end with things like the opioid crisis. You know, and I get that. People want to be out of pain. But being out of pain starts way before when you have to deaden the pain. <laughs> There's some other cause, you know, that, that, that still you haven't found yet. When you can find that cause, uh, you can start to lessen the pain. Music is a way forward into that because it's so incredibly rich in its ability to release pain. So, Bill, um, we're running out of time. Would you like to give the audience... Um, a way to contact you. Um, I know you have a website and you have YouTube as well as um, some other uh, ways that they can contact you, such as your email address. Sure. I know this will all be in the show notes, but the easy way to remember it is quest.musiccare.net. Quest, because we're all on a quest, a quest to be more than human, a quest to achieve what we want to achieve, to lead an incredible life. Music Care, because that's the company with two C's, and .net, because it's a network of people. This is a movement. It's a self-care reawakening, I think, that we're in right now. So quest.musiccare.net. You'll find me there. There's free stuff. It's the portal to the quest itself. 
And uh, once you find me, it, it's an endless rabbit hole. As you all know, <laughs> the Internet goes on forever, and uh, you can chase it as far as you want. Well, Bill, thank you so much for being a guest on our show tonight. And um, I'm sure you've helped a lot of people and made them more aware of how they can use music in their lives. And as you said, um, it can become a ritual, uh, a ritual that you can use on a regular basis to help pull you through various emotions that are painful and um, can bring you downhill. And uh, music is a universal way of communication. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. And thank you, audience, for hanging in with our technical difficulties tonight. We really appreciate you and appreciate your patience. Yes. Thank you so much. And um, stay tuned for our coming shows at the, at the balancemillionaire.com. And you can feel free to visit uh, my website, www.thebalancemillionaire.com, to find out more about me and what we offer. Take care. Good night. Thank you for tuning into The Balanced Millionaire with your host, Eileen Mendel, CEO of InnerEdge International, business consultant, multimedia marketing expert, renowned speaker and author. Connect with Eileen Mendel, The Balanced Millionaire. Increase your confidence, creativity, balance, awareness, direction, motivation, and catapult your business to the next level and beyond.